Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. As we continue on in the study that we're doing through the New Testament, in particular right now we're in the book of Mark, we're in the fifth chapter today. We're taking a chapter a week and, and working through the, uh, the New Testament together. Um, I'm pretty confident we're going to finish Mark, and then I'm going to take John out of order and do John next, uh, order this in, and then we can do Luke and Acts together since Luke wrote them both. Um, that, there'll be a nice flow for that. We'll move right out of the Gospels into the Acts of the Apostles. And uh, you can see how the church started and uh, how it formed. Of course, that'll be a while. It takes a while at a chapter a week, but uh, at least you know where we're heading. And like I said, it's a, I think it's a five-year journey to go from the, from the beginning to the end of the New Testament, just the New Testament. And um, we started seven months ago and changed in the book of Matthew, and we worked through that, and now we're in the book of Mark. And uh, so keep coming back. It'll take us five years. We'll get the New Testament done, and then we'll jump into the Old Testament. Fifteen years after that, we'll have the whole thing knocked out. We'll start all over again. <laughs> Actually, I think it's kind of interesting, though, because for some people, uh, it, it will be a, a remembrance of when they started coming to church. When did you come to church? Started in Mark chapter 5. I remember it clearly. Ah. <laughs> uh, anyway, you have to have some history to get there. Yeah, and you never know. The Lord, until the Lord comes back, and then, then we'll be done. I don't need those yet. Um, the book of Mark is, uh, and, and just remember as we sort of get into it, Mark was writing to the Romans who were impressed by power and authority and he jumped right into the gospel talking about Jesus' power and authority. So there wasn't a lot of backstory like there was in Matthew. He was right into sort of the miracle phase and the power demonstration of Jesus. And um, he has been talking about and weaving into his story the authority that Jesus has over all sorts of things, disease, nature. Today we're going to see Jesus' authority over death. And he's um, weaving these things into his narrative to present the points that he wants to make. Uh, um, and, and so we're, we're busy seeing the, the movement of Jesus in his ministry. And remember when you read the Gospels that uh, sometimes, see, we're used to things being set up chronologically. Um, the writers of the Gospels weren't that worried about when things happened. They were worried about um, reaching the, the audience that they were attempting to write to. And so, because sometimes you'll read one gospel and it seems like things happen in this order, and you'll read another gospel and things like things happen in this order, but the reality is that the, the chronology isn't what really matters. It's just that, that these are the things, these, this was the ministry of Jesus. And that primarily and, and foundationally, Jesus preached the gospel, the good news, that the kingdom was at hand, that he was inaugurating the kingdom, and, and then he began to sort of... Um, tear down the religious confines of the day that had bound people into uh, rules and regulations and had kept them far from God. And he began to turn that around and say, that's not what was intended. It's about relationship with God. And he, he preached that message and that there was a way to relationship with God, forgiveness, and, and all these things are possible. And then he backed it up by demonstrating the fact that the kingdom of God was indeed upon them. And he began to move into areas of darkness and confronted them with light. And so uh, we, we hold in tension the fact that Jesus inaugurated the kingdom when he first came, that he comes back and he sets everything straight, and we're in the between times right now. 
where the kingdom is here but not fully here. And we ask him in faith for his kingdom that's coming to come today. And we pray for people and we do the things that Jesus sent us out to do. But we understand that it's not fully here. The results are always on him. And our part is just to operate in faith and obedience to the word of God. Well, um, we continue on in Mark chapter 5. And again, we're going to see the amazing concern of Jesus for people that the religious order didn't care about and that people in society in general didn't care about. Care about. And, and Jesus continually reaches out to the outcast. And uh, the people that he reaches out to were often isolated and forbidden because of various things in their lives to associate with the religious people of the day. And, and Jesus was coming to straighten all that out. And, and Mark records examples of some of these for us in uh, his text so we can see the concern of Jesus. You remember in Mark chapter 3 how um, Jesus uh, touched the leper and how the leper would have been ceremonial unclean. And when the leper came to Jesus and said, you know, you can heal me if you're willing, he wasn't, uh, the, the question wasn't whether or not he could heal. It's, it's would he minister to a diseased person? someone who was an outcast, who was ceremonially unclean. And Jesus not only prayed for his healing and saw him healed, but, but touched him. And, and we see the, the concern, the compassion, the love of God for people which had been missing in the established order and religion of the day. They'd, they'd lost the love factor. It was gone. It had become all rules and regulations. And my constant warning is we have to be very careful because it's very easy to slip into rules and regulations. And, and forget the love factor. And it happens all the time. And people get together for a good purpose and, and without meaning to all of a sudden get away from the love of God and following God becomes a series of steps and regulations and rules. And whenever we get there, we're in big trouble because it's not about that. And Jesus came to reestablish what God had always intended, which was a relationship with us with a relationship with his creation. He created us for relationship with him. And, and we have sinned, and so we messed it up. And yet he, he again made a way through Christ and the cross. For us, to have relationship again. We'll never be good enough. We'll never deserve it. And yet in Christ, we have access to holy God because he now sees us through Christ and in Christ. And so our, our mess has been covered. Um, by the blood at the cross and we are reestablished in relationship with God forever so um, this is the message of the gospel this is what Jesus is proclaiming he's straightening things out and and Mark sort of concentrates more on the the backup the power uh, of God in operating in Jesus and what that looks like so let's pick up the action in Mark chapter 5 there's 43 verses in Mark 5 let me start by getting a sip of water. I'm going to read it to you out of the NIV. It's in your notes in the NIV, in the Bible. In the pews, I'm sorry, in the Rosers Bible. Uh, they're also NIV, but you can read along in whatever your favorite translation is, if you have that with you. Or you can just listen to me read, or however you want to do it. But Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse 1. They went across the lake to the region of the Gerasenes. When Jesus got out of the boat, a man with an evil spirit came from the tombs to meet him. This man lived in the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. 
For he had often been chained hand and foot, but he tore the chains apart and broke the irons on his feet. No one was strong enough to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and in the hills he would cry out and cut himself with stones. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Swear to God that you won't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you evil spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, Send us in among the pigs. Allow us to go into them. He gave them permission, and the evil spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. Those tending the pigs ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by a legion of demons, sitting there, dressed, and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people what had happened to the demon-possessed man, and told about the pigs as well. Then the people began to plead with Jesus to leave their region. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him, but said, Go home to your family and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he's had mercy on you. So the man went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him, and all the people were amazed. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, a large crowd gathered around him while he was by the lake. Then one of the synagogue rulers came, one of the synagogue rulers named Jairus came there. Seeing Jesus, he fell at his feet and pleaded earnestly with him, My little daughter is dying. Please come and put your hands on her that she'll be healed and live. So Jesus went with him. A large crowd followed and pressed around him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had. Yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I'll be healed. Immediately, her bleeding stopped, and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once, Jesus realized that power had gone out from him, and he turned around in the crowd and asked, Who touched my clothes? You see the people crowding against you, his disciples answered, and yet you can ask who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. And then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet, and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. While Jesus was still speaking, some men came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue ruler. Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Ignoring what they said, Jesus told the synagogue ruler, Don't be afraid, just believe. He did not let anyone follow him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the house of the synagogue ruler, Jesus saw a commotion with people crying and wailing loudly. Why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. But they laughed at him. After he put them all out, he took the child's father and mother and the disciples who were with him and went in where the child was. He took her by the hand and said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl stood up and walked around. She was 12 years old. At this they were completely astonished. He gave strict orders not to let anyone know about this and told them to give her something to eat. Blessed be the word of 
the Lord. Mark chapter 5. Okay. So, pretty interesting stuff. Let's, uh, let's talk about it a little bit. The, the, the first part of the story, I think, is uh, fairly interesting, and, and yet um, it, it may be a little uh, difficult to understand sometimes. And I think sometimes we try and put too much into the story, um, and yet it's the story of the man. Uh, you've probably, if you've been around church at all, you've heard him called the demoniac or the Gadarene demoniac or all sorts of names. That particular region um, seems to have three names, um, depending on what it is, uh, Gerasenes in this, uh, Gadarenes in others, and Gergesenes in still, still others is, is the name they pick for the place. I don't really think the name matters that much, but we get the idea of where the region is. And this particular region was primarily populated by Gentiles, and that's why there was pigs there. Remember, the Jews still don't care for pigs. Uh, they're unclean, and uh, uh, it's not part of their general dietary process, at least the ones that are observing Judaism. Um, and so, uh, so you have this story then uh, of this place where uh, Jesus arrives on the land and he's met by this guy who's possessed by a legion of demons. That legion means many. And so many demons have taken up residence inside this man, the demon-possessed. You've probably heard of the term, and we've talked about what that looks like and, uh, and what that's all about. This man um, had uh, suffered under this uh, uh, possession for a long time, and uh, they, they, he was an outcast. He lived on the outskirts of town, and I'm sure that he freaked everybody out. Uh, they tried to chain him at different times, and that didn't work anymore. He could break the chains. And he lived in the tombs, and, you know, tombs would be these cave-like structures where they buried people. And so, you know, think about his existence. And, and um, he, he went about shrieking loudly, it says, day and night, and cutting himself with sharp stones. Um, and, and perhaps that was in some sort of demonic worship or something, I'm not sure, but... but you, you, you need to get the picture of the pitiful state of this man. Um, and, and yet, see, the people had, we do this all the time. We forget about looking at people deep down and we just see their mess. You, do you know that we're accustomed to doing that? That we tend to make pretty quick judgments on people and we tend to look at them in a very surface way. And we, we make judgments based on our surface impressions and we forget about backstory and problems and situations and what got them there and why they like that and what's happened in their life. But when God looks at us, He looks into the heart. And so I love the fact that Jesus, fully God, fully man, didn't back away from this encounter one bit, but just stands there and begins to interact. First, to get the demons to go and then to restore the man. And, and that's what the process is supposed to be like. And this encounter happens, and we, we, we see this discussion that goes on, and, and sometimes people try and derive this as a theology for exorcism, uh, and that you need to, um, if someone is being um, oppressed by some demonic influence, that for some reason we, we need to always engage them in conversation or something, and, 
this was just this encounter. Um, ultimately, they have to leave. And uh, even today, if we encounter someone, and, and demons haven't left anywhere, um, they're, they're still around. Um, and, you know, we can, we've talked about that at length. You can go on the Internet. I've talked and thought about it at different times. Not everything is demonic. Some people have other issues, and, and we don't want to make everything there. But at the same point, we don't want to exclude it from being a possibility. Um, and and um, Jesus does what he needs to do and, and ultimately tells these demons they have to go. Now, we see this picture, and, and I, I think it's just because they're, we're exposing um, darkness with light. And previous to the New Testament, we don't have much uh, exposition of or, or um, resource about demonic activity. Uh, in the Old Testament, we don't see it very often because the light hadn't come yet. When the light came, darkness was exposed, and all of a sudden, the reality was that many people were struggling with all sorts of dark influence that only became visible with the light. And, and so we see people that were possessed by demons that keep presenting themselves to Jesus. Uh, and... Um, when they come, Jesus has to uh, take care of them, and he has the authority to do it. And he tells them to leave. Now, there's this discussion, well, don't make us go, you know, uh, it's not our time yet, because they know what happens in the final judgment. We don't want to go yet. And, and it seems like they sort of strike up a bargain. I don't know why all that happened. And, and yet, uh, Jesus finally said, well, you've got to leave this man, because he cared about the man. They wanted to go on the pigs. He said, fine. And off they went the pigs, and the pigs, the pigs apparently didn't care for the demons. And uh, they decided they'd better off be drowned, and off they went, and um, the entire herd of pigs was drowned in the sea. Could be some relevant, uh, relevance or, or um, sort of inference to um, the camp of the evil one. I'm not sure how it works, but, but um, this, this event takes place. Now, one of the things you need to see, though, is that something is brought to light again, in that after this event happens, the, the man who had been in that horrible situation for a long time is delivered, set free, made new, restored, brought back, new life. He's sitting there, he's dressed, and he's calm, and he's in his right mind. And the people come out, and they hear about what happened, and they see him there, and rather than rejoicing, they're afraid. And when they hear what happened to the pigs, they don't want Jesus doing that anymore. Their reaction to the miracle is, you need to leave town because we can't handle the economic fallout. <laughs> we don't care about him. We never have. And so they ask him to leave. Well, they, and it's funny, they, it's interesting because they plead with him to leave, get out. And so he goes and we don't have any record of him going back. But here's what fascinates me. In, in, in the, the next chunk of Scripture, the man who was set free pleads with Jesus to go with him. And Jesus says, look, no, that's not for you to go. But what I want you to do is go and tell your people what happened to you. Fascinating because most of the time we see Jesus saying, don't say anything, right? You ever wonder what happens? The Decapolis is a Gentile place. He, the message is, is he, go for it. He, remember, we have this issue in his hand that he's, come first to the, the children of Israel. And they've, the religious orders rejected the message, and so he's, he shut it off now. And yet he says, well, go, and, and you tell everybody what happened to you. Go and tell. And he does. One of the first sort of evangelists sent out. You go and tell people what the Lord has done for you. And the Bible says that he does. 
But, but in, in the same little instance of this miracle, you see some people, when in an interaction with Jesus, they want him to go. And there's other people who never want him to leave. And that's what the man, I don't, I don't want you to leave. And he says, you're going to be okay. You go. And, and you preach. And so, um, to me, that's the heart of that story, is the concern of Jesus for this man that everybody else just didn't care about any longer. Okay, then we, we move into um, the next part, the beginning of verse 21. And we sort of get another one of these things that Mark likes to do. I like to call them little Oreo stories. Because he starts one story, comes in with the middle with another story, another story completely, and then finishes up the story that he started. And so the story begins about Jairus, who's a synagogue ruler. His daughter is very sick and near death. And he knows his faith that if he can get to Jesus, and if Jesus will come and pray for his daughter, that his daughter will be made well. And it says little daughter there. It, it, it most likely means only daughter. This was a big deal. And he comes in faith, in humility. Uh, he, he falls at the feet of Jesus and said, Will you come? Because my daughter's sick and she's dying, and I know if you come, she'll be made well. And Jesus says, "Okay." He gets the okay, and and there's this big crowd, and they begin to move towards the the ruler's house. And my guess would be that that time is of the essence, especially if you're Jairus. Think about it being your daughter. So you know, it's come on, you've got to come now. So they, they Jesus says, "Okay," and they begin the journey. But along the way, Mark interweaves this other story, and there's this lady who comes. And this woman, it says, has been uh, uh, struggling with this disease that, uh, of, of bleeding for 12 years. And um, she's, she's gone to all the doctors, and none of them have been able to cure her, and they, she has no money left. And um, again, the, this particular problem would cause her to be ceremonial unclean, ceremonial unclean, and she would have been cut off, isolated from her people and from the opportunity to worship just like the leper was. And so, you know, think about the torment of this poor woman. And she comes to Jesus. She, she's, she's realized that she's heard about Jesus. If she can get to Jesus, she can get healed. At the same time, the years of humiliation and embarrassment that she must have endured, um, she, she can't even face him. She just wants to sneak up in there and get a hold of his clothes. And she says, if I can do it, I'm going I'm, I'm to be healed. And she works her way through this crowd that's pressed in around Jesus. And she knows if she can just get to him. And the, the story says that she gets to him and she grabs a hold of his clothes. And instantly she knows. The bleeding stops and she knows she's healed. Well, Jesus knows that, that, that someone's been healed and he stops. Stops everything. And he, he says, someone was just healed. And I need to know who it is. We're gonna, and I'm sure he knows, but he's making a point here, all right? And, and everything stops. Now, the disciples are like, everybody's touching you. What are you talking about? Said, no, there's somebody here. And, and he stops, and this woman comes to him. And, and what he says is, is verse 34 is, is so important because you, you need to understand what was happening. See, uh, Jesus knew who she was. But this, these years of suffering physically had more than just a physical impact on her. They would have affected her being. Imagine being an outcast, cut off, embarrassed, humiliated, mocked, whatever the situation, for 12 years. And not only did she need to be physically healed, she needed to be restored in her emotions and in her spiritual life. And, and Jesus stops 
And I, and I believe he stopped just so he could look her in the eye. See, God cares about people. And say what he says in verse 34. Daughter, which was a term of affection, uh, an endearing affection, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She'd already been healed. He's talking about something deeper here. Go in peace now. Uh, A restoration of the rest of your life. No more suffering. You're, You're restored. You're made whole. You're made new. You're my daughter. You're loved. You're cherished. You're honored. You're respected. All these things. All these things. See, she had to hear that to to continue on from there. And I believe that was the reason that he stopped. Was that, that he wanted to make sure she knew. That, that it was more than just sort of like a magic trick of touching him and being healed. That he restores wholeness to people. The, the very word salvation has its root in the idea of, of wholeness. And, and he wanted to make her whole. Now... At the same time this is happening, guess who's probably not very happy that things have stopped? Jairus. Because his daughter's dying. And the whole deal is, is stopped. And he knows that it's limited time. Jesus, we have to get there. And yet Jesus stops. And I've told you this before. I can never find an instance in the Scripture where Jesus is in a hurry. Ever. Ever. Never once. I've looked. Because I'd like to be able to validate some of my rushing around sometimes. And it would be nice to be able to go, well, Jesus, in this verse, I can't even find an obscure verse. Or, you know, infer anything out of anything. He just never was in a hurry. So he stopped because it's woman that matters. See, get the, 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 the stories being told. People are going, well, God really cares. But now what about Jairus' daughter? And, and they've stopped. And what happens? People come from the household of Jairus and say it's too late. She's dead. Try and imagine what it must have been like. Jesus, you were so close. And he, he says, listen. In the, in the text it says ignoring them, which means don't believe it. He says, listen, don't be afraid. Just believe. Keep believing. See, he'd already come in faith in Jesus. And, and now it was like, well, it's too late. But Jesus said, listen, don't stop. Just believe. Keep believing. And, and then they go to Jairus' house. And, and the, the already the morning is set up and the wailing and all those things. And um, we read in history that they actually had like professional people that came and were a part of this thing. Um, they actually had people, that's what their job was, was to go and mourn uh, when this stuff happened. It was part of the process. They already got this thing worked up. And Jesus says, she's not dead, she's asleep. And they just sort of laugh at him and he sends them all away. And he goes in the room with just three of the disciples and the parents. And then he says to the girl, get up. And she does. And it says they're astonished. Of course. <laughs> now, <laughs> I, I imagine that's an understatement <laughs> um, because she was dead. And she gets up. And this, this is talking about now Jesus' authority over death. Very significant deal. Disciples were like, you know, they, were, they were amazed when he calmed the storm. Imagine where they were at with this. She was dead and now she's up. Now, at, at the end, I think it's fascinating because first he tells them, look, don't tell anybody about this. Again, we have this thing going on between the, the people that rejected his clear, clearly presented message, and now he's teaching in parables, and he's, he doesn't want people coming for the wrong reason. He wants them coming for the right reason, reason of the heart. But the other thing I think is fascinating, and i got two minutes, is that he said, now get her something to eat. You know, I always pick up on them food verses, because that's my stuff. 
Wait a minute. I always have to go, oh, food. Let's see. Maybe it was chicken wings, and I, I got that worked out. I think that the reason that he makes that statement is that he brought her back, but it's not like her resurrected body, like the one he has that won't need any of this stuff. He just brought her back, and, and she needs to do what she needs to do. She needs to continue on. You need to feed her. She's, you know, she's, she's, she's back for now. I mean, like everybody else, she's going to go again. Um, so she needs to do the things that you need to do. And he's bringing up the point, look, make, give her something to eat. She, you know, she probably make dying, probably make you hungry. I don't know. And, and <laughs> give her some food and, and, and straighten her out. And so I, I think he makes a point. But part of that, I think, is, look, she's not, this isn't, you know, she's not forever back, but she's back. And she can enjoy the rest of the life that uh, she was intended to have. And that's enough for Mark chapter 5. If you um, have prayer requests, you can send them up and pass them up to me, and I will pray for you. Um, Georgina, would you go find one of the guys upstairs and ask them to turn off the computer stuff, or it'll run on forever? They're, they're in the youth loft. There's no one up there. Barry usually turns it off, and they're gone. So um, the, the video will run a little long upstairs, guys, but that's okay. Williston, we love you. Scott, Pam, everybody. Uh, hi. And uh, be blessed. And um, they'll pray for you there. And we're going to pray here for the group. And so the video will run for a minute while we get into some of those prayers. But uh, if you're watching my video and you need prayer, contact us, email us, write us, call us, and I will pray for you. But we're going to go ahead and do these prayer requests, and we'll call it a night, okay? Have I got all the prayer requests? All right, let's pray. You can shut that down now, Doug. That's great. Father, we are so thankful 